seated. Well, welcome again to World Changers Church Houston. We're glad that you made it out on tonight. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online. Uh, we've been in, in uh, enjoying an awesome series in time with God uh, titled We Are the Righteous. And right now we're in the portion of it that talks about the fact that we are the righteous and we're talking about how to rule and how to walk with God, knowing this fact that we are the righteous. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians. We're going to look at uh, chapter 1, and uh, we'll look at verses 16 through 23. And before we get into that, just to kind of recap some of the things we've been talking about, uh, you know, I, I call it a radical statement alert uh, when you hear something that's just really going to challenge the way we think on stuff. And we've been talking about the fact that we are no longer uh, positioned at the feet of Jesus, but instead we're seated with Jesus. Amen? Um, and, and we've been really combing through that, I think, really good. Uh, we, we looked at several scriptures uh, in, uh, I think it was Matthew, Luke, and Mark. Uh, where we saw several people who found themselves at the feet of Jesus, uh, from the woman with the issue of blood uh, to uh, the, the guy who got healed, uh, sorry, delivered uh, from the demon legion, uh, and also Jairus found himself at the feet of Jesus. Uh, Mary found herself at the feet of Jesus when she was being taught. And we looked at a truth, which was, uh, or a fact, uh, which was all of those individuals were at the feet of Jesus because indeed they needed something from him, be it healing or deliverance. Even the uh, lady who was caught in the act of adultery, uh, there's a, at the end of that uh, interaction with her and Jesus, he told her, now get up and, and go sin no more. And, and several times you see people kind of in a physical position where they're kneeling or they're at the feet of Jesus or they're crawling and touching the hem of his garment. And I think it's indicative uh, that we look at that pattern and see that man at that time was in a very, and I'm trying to choose my words wisely, but in a very subservient position, if you will, as it related to their authority when it came to Jesus. Jesus is and was the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way you can get what you needed to get back when he was physically alive and walking the earth was through him. Amen? Because the law wasn't going to transform you. The law wasn't going to fix you. The law wasn't going to do those things. The law had a purpose, and the purpose of the law was, again, to point you to the Messiah, who was Jesus. So then a time happened on earth when the Messiah actually showed up physically. So how many guys know that things changed when the Messiah showed up? When, it, when he wasn't physically here, there was no way to get what you could get when he was here. The law wasn't going to deliver you, it wasn't going to transform you, it wasn't going to fix you, it wasn't going to do that. But here comes Jesus and he's on the scene and he can deliver you, he can heal you, he can forgive you, he can raise you up, he can do all these things that the law could not do. And so the only way you were going to get that stuff back then was by humbly coming to Jesus in faith and as everybody did, asking for what you needed. But then something else happened. So you have the time of the law, then you have the time when Jesus is walking on earth, and then when Jesus went up on the cross, something happened that we've been talking about. We were made the righteous or the righteousness of God. And when we were made the righteousness of God, 
our positioning changed. Now, when I say our, I mean man. Mankind's positioning changed. We all have the opportunity to be and walk in the benefits of being made righteous. Now, the only way you're getting to walk in, in those benefits, though, is if you do what? What's number five? If you believe. Because did Jesus die for all men? But are all, is, is all mankind living out the benefits of their righteousness? No, because the difference is, is whether you believe. We looked at several scriptures that said, you gotta believe, you gotta believe, you gotta believe. Belief or faith is the activation of your righteousness. It's the activation of grace in your life. Grace has been made available to everybody, but not everybody uh, benefits from grace uh, in the, in, in, in when it comes to their salvation simply because they don't believe. If I don't believe in God, there's no way in the world I'm going to accept that he forgave me by the sacrifice of Jesus, who is grace, because God loves me. So I got to believe in all of that. And when I believe in all that, I'm made righteous. But now that I'm made righteous, I don't have to do like Mary did. I don't have to do like the woman with the issue of blood. I don't have to do like the woman caught in adultery. I don't have to do like the guy, Legion, who was, you know, was possessed with demons. I don't have to do like Jairus. I don't have to come to Jesus and then say, give me something. Why? Because when Jesus died on the cross and said, it is finished and made us the righteousness of God, he gave us everything. We have all we need from God. Now, it's imperative that you hear the, the words that I'm saying uh, because, well, I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. We have, say that with me, say, I have all I need from God. So you have to remember salvation provided your deliverance. It provided your prosperity. It provided your healing. It provided your forgiveness. And at the same uh, pace, it also provided you get the Holy Spirit who gives you power, who gives you wisdom. You see what I'm saying? So, so I, I, I have all of that. So to go to Jesus and say, like the woman with the issue of blood, to go to Jesus and say, heal me, would be to say the cross didn't do his job. That the body of Christ didn't finish the work. To go to Jesus and say, Jesus, teach me, would mean that the Holy Spirit's not doing his job. Because didn't it say that the Holy Spirit would teach us and bring all things to our remembrance, show us things to come? So if I go to Jesus and say, oh, I, I need to get at your feet so you can teach me, he's like, well, no, that's the Holy Spirit's job. He's, he's on the inside of you, and he's teaching you nonstop. But what we've actually done in church, like with many things, and it, it doesn't make us, we didn't do this maliciously, I don't believe. It, it's just a fact of the religion and, and how things have gone and flowed. We've taken something that we saw in the Bible as a precious, intimate moment, and we equated that to that's how I'm supposed to spend time with God, or that's how I get from God, which is when we saw Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, receiving from Jesus, and Jesus told Martha she's doing the needful thing, we took that and said, oh, I get it. So every time I want to worship God or spend time with God or receive from him, I need to do like Mary did and get at the feet of Jesus. The principle is correct, but the, for lack of a better word, the procedure uh, is incomplete. It's not that I got to get at the feet of Jesus, because if I do that again, I'm telling Jesus I need more from you, and he's done it all. 
But how many of you guys know it is extremely important to spend time with God? It's extremely important to spend time with God. So we're not saying you don't worship God, you don't spend time with God, you don't receive from God, but it, it, it indeed is from God. Because here's the question you want to ask yourself. According to the scripture, I'm seated with Christ, correct? And if I'm seated with Christ and united with him, then it begs to reason that the way I need to charge myself up, build myself up, uh, um, worship, if you will, would be the same way Jesus did it. We look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and we keep placing ourselves in the wrong person. You keep making yourself the woman with the issue of blood. You keep making yourself Jairus. You keep making yourself... Uh, the guy who got delivered from the demon. You keep making yourself all those people, and according to the word, that's the wrong person that you're supposed to be identifying with. You've been united with Jesus. You're not the possessed person. You're not the sick person. You're not the hurt person. You are indeed the one who has the Savior on the inside of you. You're the one with the answers, not the one needing a solution. Jesus was all of our solution, and he solved the problems of your life and my life once and for all. Let me show you this. Ephesians uh, 1, let's, uh, let's do the, the New Living Translation, guys. Yeah, Ephesians 1, uh, verse 16. It says, I have not, this is Paul talking to the church of Ephesus in his letter. He said, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. Now, let's just pause right there. Go back to 16. Uh, oh, uh, sorry, the beginning of 17, I'm sorry. He says, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to do what? Give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you grow in your knowledge of God. So how do I get spiritual wisdom and insight? Go back, let's look at it. The glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, I get it from who? God. I get it from God the Father. Now, he identifies God as the Father of Jesus, but he's saying, I'm asking God to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. Now, again, right there, Paul's saying, here's how you get spiritual wisdom. Here's how you get insight. It's not going to be at the feet of Jesus. It's, it's going to be you spending time with God. See, again, we have to rightly divide the word of truth and not be afraid to let God be God, Jesus be Jesus, and the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit. See, what we've sometimes done uh, somewhat um, carefree is just mixed all the two. Well, it's, they're all the same, right? It's Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit it doesn't make a difference. It does when it comes to you living out your life on this earth as an authority, as a ruler, as a king and a queen, amen? If I want to get wisdom and spiritual understanding and grow in the knowledge of God, I need to go spend time with God, the Father. Amen? Amen? 
Let's keep going. Verse 18. He said, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called. Those, not that he just called, but called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. Did you know that you're the inheritance of God? That's good news. Let's keep going. Verse 19. He said, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him where? In the place of honor at God's right hand in heavenly realms. Verse 21. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. Verse 22. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. Verse 23. And the church is his body. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. So we've drawn this a ton of times now. But so where's Christ? Is Christ still on the cross? So for me to go and try to get at the feet of the cross to try to get something from God or from Jesus, what, what is that going to do? Yeah, so I, what I'm saying is, is there's no more need, or not, I'll, I'll say it this way, I don't want you to spend any time wasting prayer, effort, and all of that in fruitless religious things. Amen? I mean, it sounds great to say, you know, I want to get at the foot of the cross, and da, 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 but Jesus is not there. The cross did his job. Amen? According to that scripture, He's seated at the right hand of the Father in heavenly realms. And it says, for this world and the world to come. So if he's seated there, and we've read the scripture that says we're seated with him, where are we seated? Yeah, right there with him. Uh, let's go look at um, Romans 8. And we'll look at verse 16 and 17. Romans 8, 16 and 17. It says, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are what? God's children. Verse 17. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. We're whose heirs? We're God's heirs. In fact, Together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Like I said earlier, when you're looking at the stories in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you have to be careful that you're not placing yourself or identifying with the wrong individual. Those individuals were not heirs yet because Christ hadn't died. But once, because well, Jesus hadn't died, once Jesus died and Christ came to live on the inside of us, we all became heirs. Heirs, kings, queens don't grovel at the feet. Heirs don't need, they have. 
And it's important that we get that distinction. Why? Because when mess tries to show up in your life, I don't need you acting like the woman with the issue of blood. I don't need you praying like her. I don't need you talking like her. I don't need you walking like her. I need you functioning like Jesus. I need you walking in your authority. I need you able to speak to that mountain and tell it to move. When, when sickness tries to show up in your life, I don't need you uh, uh, functioning like Jairus or even his daughter. I need you able to speak to those situations and say, body be healed in Jesus' name. I am the healed, living out my healing, and that's the end of it. How many times did you see Jesus struggling with sickness? How many times did you see Jesus struggling with poverty? How many times did you see him struggling with lack? There's a reason for that. He knew who he was. Now, Jesus was, yes, God in the flesh. But in a, natural, he was a, in a natural, he was a human full of God, correct? I said he was a human being full of God, correct? Then what are you? You see what I'm working on right now? What are you you got to see this thing and know that it's true. You're not trying to be full of God. You have been ever since you got saved. Do you see the great deception of the enemy trying to make us think that we're still trying to reach and achieve who we already are? Sounds like the same trick he played on Adam and Eve in the garden. Trying to make man think that he is not already like God and then trying to get you to be like God without God. You're like God because of God. This was God reconciling man to himself by himself. And he made us like him. Amen? It, 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 was, it was basically like when in uh, Genesis 1, I think it's 26, 25, 26, and he let us make man in, in our image and so on and so forth, and we were made in his image. Amen? Here you were made again in his image. He made you physically in his image and he made you spiritually in his image back then. Then we kind of messed that up. And then it was like Jesus came back and got on the inside of us and like made us again in his image. You're not getting away from who you are. You're not getting away from who you are. The question is, is will you believe who you are so that you can live victorious on this earth? Or will you keep trying to chase after your breakthrough? You've broken through. So, well, you know, I guess I'll say that for Sunday because some of you act like you don't want to hear that. You just say, you want to you be in the struggle. I want to I be in the struggle because I don't understand and I don't know. Well, that's what renewing your mind is all about. You've already broken through. He broke you through when he took the keys, when he delivered you, when he saved you, when he set you free, he broke you through. It was by no effort on your own. You got to ride into victory on the back of Jesus. And it's finished. I said it's finished. <clears throat> what in your life 
is the enemy trying to trick you with to make you think you're still less than inheritors of God's glory. Guys, understand what I'm saying. I'm not talking about inheriting a house. I'm not talking about inheriting a car. I'm not talking about inheriting gold. I'm talking about you inherited the power of God. What is it that the power of God cannot do? That's a real question. Somebody tell me, what can the power of God not do? It can do everything, can't it? So you have on the inside of you the ability to take care of anything that the enemy or life may throw at you. you because simply you are a child of God. If you agree with that, say amen. Amen. Uh, let's go to Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse 5. Now, we're just spending some time in this part, kind of recapping and building ourselves up on it. Uh, I guess go to verse 4 so we don't start right there. It says, but God is so rich in his mercy, and he loved us so much. Now, what is mercy? Mercy is when I deserve punishment for something I've done wrong, but I don't get it. Amen. So we deserve punishment for our sin. We deserve punishment for all the stuff we did. But God loved us so much, he put the punishment that you and I deserve on the back of Jesus. So stop beating yourself up. Amen? It says, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much, verse 5, that even though we were dead, why? Because of our sins. He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Christ went to the cross, he physically died, and we were dead already in our sins. But when he raised Christ from the dead, something happened. It says, it is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Verse six, for he raised us, so Christ died physically, we were dead spiritually, but when Christ, when Jesus was raised up, we were raised from that spiritual death with him. If you understand that, say amen. amen. It says, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ. Now, here's the part I want you to check out. Like we said before in that other scripture we saw in Ephesians 1, that Jesus is seated at this place of power, right? What does that scripture say according to where we are now at? Because remember, either I'm down trying to get the crumbs from the master's table Either I'm down trying to touch the hem of his garment still or I'm somewhere else. It says, for he has raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So if Jesus is here, I'm here with him. Jesus is not on the cross so I ain't on the cross. Jesus ain't down trying to get this and get that. So guess what? Nor am I. Jesus is seated in a place of power and authority, and it says we are united with him. So wherever he go, you go. Whatever he has, you have. Oh, no, but they told me that I still got to work on something. Whatever he got, you got. 
So you've got to start seeing yourself as you are. You are the righteousness of God. Say that with me. I am the righteousness of God. That means you're right with God. The only reason why you keep doing wrong is because you don't believe you're right. The moment you believe you're right and you allow God to begin to minister to you, you he will begin to change you on the insides. He will begin to change your want to's. Right now you want to do all that nutty stuff that you do because you haven't given your life fully over to him. Yeah, you're saved, but you're still holding on to that soul. Did you know man was a three-part being? Somebody say three. You are a spirit. The real you is inside of that body. That's the same you that when you die, if you're saved, you go to heaven. That spirit has attached with it a soul. That's your mind, your will, and your emotions. See, this world has taught you to pay more attention to your body than anything. But your body actually follows whatever your soul says to do. When you get saved, it is your spirit that gets saved. Not your body, not your soul, technically. That soul, that mind that you possess, your chooser, your filler, it has to be renewed or changed or transformed. All right, I hear what you're saying, but I don't know where you're getting that from. Go to Romans 12, 2, and uh, let's look at it in the Amplified. Let me show you this. Uh, start with verse 1, actually. Verse 1, and we'll go up to 2. Uh, let's do the Amplify here. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, and beg of you in view of all the mercies of God to make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, which means devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God which is your reasonable, it's your rational, it's your intelligent service and spiritual worship. So he's saying, hey, guys, take those bodies and worship God with them, serve God with them, obey God with them. That's just what Jesus did, right? He did the same thing. He took his body and then he literally served the will of God with that body. Said what God told him to say, did what God told him to do, went where God told him to to go, uh, stayed away from sin. He did all of that, and that's what that scripture's talking about, that we should do that. That's why this notion that, you know, you can just go and sin and, and still say, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm obeying God, I'm good to go, that's, that's not true. So he's saying, listen, present those bodies to God so he can use you for his service. But then verse two tells you how you can actually pull that off. Verse two says, do not be conformed to this world, this age fashioned after and adapted to its external superficial customs. Don't believe like they believe, don't walk like they walk, because you're not gonna be able to believe like the world and live like the world and then serve God with that body. Many of us have tried it, it just doesn't work, amen? I can't believe like the world, live like the world, act like the world, and then turn around and then say, I'm going to actually walk in the same power and authority Jesus did. Why? Because when I live like the world, act like the world, and get into sin, I'm getting into unbelief. And unbelief is the number one short-circuiter to the power of God in your life. Why? Because you're believing more in superficial carnal things than you are in the things of God. You're walking by the flesh and not by the spirit. 
What does that mean? That means when the Holy Spirit tells you to go pray for this person or that person to do this and do that, you ain't going to hear them. You're not going to hear them. You're not going to be able to, to identify the will of God for your life. You're not going to know it because you know so much carnal stuff. You're not going to be able to know clearly his will. You're going to miss it and make it and miss it and make it and miss it and make it and just find yourself never really walking out fully God's will for your life. And by the way, that's where a lot of Christians find themselves. Because we got, we've, 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 we've either got so caught up in trying to live perfect or trying to do this middle of the road thing. Y'all ain't going to tell me what I can do. You ain't going to tell me what I can eat, drink, or who I can sleep with, or, or who I can like, or, or whatever like that. And I'm so so you're, you're getting all caught up in this carnal stuff, and while God still loves you, you can't present that body a full living sacrifice because you're struggling to hear from God. I talk to a lot of teens all the time, and one of the number one things I hear from teens is I can't even hear his voice. Want to know why? We were all, how many of us were teenagers in this room? Yeah, if you're an adult and don't have your hand up, we'll get you a head check later because you were 18 at one point. Amen. But, but we all remember the bombardment with carnal things as a teenager. I don't care what, how old you are, what generation you were born in, we all got hit with that same stuff. It's images and, and, and just life and just all this stuff that comes at you that says, pay attention to me and not to God. And that's what this is talking about. He's saying, don't be conformed to this world by this age. Don't get your mind in unbelief. No, keep trusting God. And here's what will happen. Let's keep going. It says, but be transformed. What does that word transform mean? Changed by the entire renewal of your mind. Now, this is talking to saved people. It's saying you can be saved. Your spirit can be sealed. You on your way to heaven. But if you want to live a life that's right with God morally, if you want to serve God, you're going to have to change the mind or allow your mind to be changed. Because that should be the question that you should ask yourself, well, if I'm supposed to change my mind, how do I do that? Go to the, uh, stay in verse 2, but go to the New Living Translation. Is this making sense? Okay. It says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. So first question I want to ask you is, whose responsibility is it to change me? Mine's or God's? Whose responsibility is it to change me? Mine's or God's? Yeah, 100% is his responsibility. I have to be willing to let him do it. God's not going to do nothing if I don't let him. Now, this whole time, you've been trying to change you, wondering why it didn't work. Can I be honest with you? You need the power <laughs> of the word of God to change. You need his help to come from that old person to become the new person. Oh, yeah, all the pain, all the heartache, all the stuff that's made you um, mentally who you are. He will work on that for you. The only thing he asks you to do is just to let him. He'll change you by changing the way you think. You want to change your life, you got to change, uh, allow him to change the way you think. You only do what you think to do. I want you to get up out that chair without, uh, out, uh, get up out that pew without thinking about it. 
Come on. Anybody? Now, those of you who are standing up, you know what? You told your legs, get up. So now sit down without thinking about it. They still not getting it. You got to tell yourself to sit down. It is impossible to do anything without telling yourself to. You cussed that person out at the grocery store the other day because you told yourself to. You flipped that person off at the light because you told yourself to. You came to church tonight because you told yourself to. There is nothing that we do that we don't want to do. Oh, the devil made me do it. That's a lie. You did that. And so if we want to change our behavior, we have to allow God to change the way we think. Now, somebody might say, well, why is that important? And how does that relate to me being seated with Jesus and not at the feet? Because one of the questions I came up with as I was going through this study was, if I am not worshiping, if you will, at the feet of Jesus, then how do I get what I need from God? And the answer is very simple. It's the same way Jesus did. But the first thing I got to do if I want to do that is I have to make a choice that I am going to mature. Somebody say mature. So that I can live like Jesus did. This seat, while you're in it, and it's true you're there, it requires maturity to rule. There's a reason why in kingdoms overseas and stuff like that, when children were old enough to take over the throne, they had advisors around them. Because children struggle with ruling. You want to know why? Because children are immature. They're selfish. They're learning how to love. They're learning how to consider others. They're learning how to believe the best in others. They're learning, in our case, how to trust God. So you don't just hand the keys of a car over to a 10-year-old. There was a story about a dad who just recently actually did that. He had his kids in the car, and he was letting them drive, and one of, one of them ran over a guy who was walking his dog and killed the guy. There's a reason why you don't give kids too much power and authority. And while we're seated with him, there still has to be a process that takes place so that we will rule properly. Because see, some of us are hearing this and saying, oh, wait, I got the power of God? I wonder if I can make myself rich. I wonder what the lotto number going to be. I wonder, and, and, you know, and, and people, they, they, they kind of go left when you're immature, but when you are mature, then you can properly walk out God's will and plan for your life. Let's look at, the, let's look at this uh, some more in the scripture. Uh, let's go to Galatians chapter 4, verse 1, and we'll go up to verse 7. So how can I rule and live on earth like Jesus did? The first thing is, I have to be mature. The Bible says, think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up. 
even though they actually own everything their father had. Verse 2, they have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it is with us before. Somebody said before. Before Christ came, we were like children. So before Christ came, before the cross, before the seat, we were like children. Keep going. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of the world. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. He was under the law, but he was still God in that flesh. Let's keep going. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law. How did he buy his freedom? What was the currency that he used? His blood. His blood was the currency that he used that paid for your sins. And like we said before, that blood never loses its value. Therefore, you never lose your forgiveness. Say, I'm forgiven. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Verse 6. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son, where? Into our hearts. So that's why I don't have to get the feet of Jesus. Christ is on the inside of me. Mary didn't have that. Jairus didn't have that. The guy who got delivered from the demon, he didn't have it. None of them had that. We have something they didn't have. So to go and do what they did would be an error because you already have Christ in you. He put his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Verse 7. Now you are no longer, slave, no longer a slave, but you are God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir. So it's another scripture saying, listen, while we were once in this lower position, now we're children of God and we're heirs of God. But now it's time, somebody say, to grow up. Let me show you that one. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to look at verse 2. 1 Corinthians 3, 2. So this tells you, it takes you from the level of I was a slave. I probably should write this down. Uh, so there was this state I was in. It's a slave. But now, because of the cross, I'm a child. Everybody understand that? Okay. And because I'm a child... Children are heirs of God. Children have Christ in us. Okay? So I was a slave, now I'm a child because of the cross, now I'm an heir of God, and now I have Christ in me. But that's not the end of our process if we want to know how to rule. It says, I had to feed you milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready, verse 3, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. And this is important. 
You are jealous of one another and quarrel with one another. Now, let me give you some context. This is Paul talking to the church in Corinth, but again, he's talking to, to save folks. He's talking to people who are at this child state. They're no longer slaves because these are the people who don't have Christ, correct? So he's talking to people who have Christ, who are heirs of God, who have Christ in us, but they still aren't functioning like they're in the seat. He said, you are still controlled by your sinful nature. Your mind hadn't been renewed yet. He said, you're jealous of one another and quarrel with one another. Keep going. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? That's what Romans warned us about not to do. Let's keep going. When one of you says, I am a follower of Paul, and the other says, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like people of the world? And, and what that is, by the way, because I want to make sure you understand what's going on in this scripture, Paul was the one who was writing this, and Apollos was another um, general, if you will, or, or, or giant in the faith, and people were literally arguing about it. It would be like saying, um, I follow Dr. Dollar, and somebody else said, I don't follow Dr. Dollar, I follow T.D. Jakes. And they're going back and forth about this, and he was like, yo, why are y'all arguing about this? He said, you're acting just like people of the world. Let's keep going. After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants. He said, both of us are serving God. Through whom you believed the good news. He says, the only thing that matters is we're serving God, and this is that good news. This is what binds us. This is what joins us. The fact that we all believe in this gospel of grace. Verse 6. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your heart, and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. But he starts off, I wanted to show you, he starts off saying, listen, I had to give you all milk and not meat because you weren't ready. So this is a good example of seeing some identification of immature Christians. Immature believers, they do exist. But a mature believer is one who is not led by their sinful nature. A mature believer is one who trusts God. A mature believer is one who says, Lord, what's more important is your will and your purpose, not these other petty things. If you understand that so far, say amen. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. Ephesians 4, 13, and we'll go up to verse 16. It says, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ then we will no longer be immature like children. There's that child state again. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. He's given another qualifier for whose children. That's people who, every time somebody teaches something, they're like, ooh, I think I believe that. Oh, they, they, they said we are, we, we the black Hebrews, and that, ooh, I think I believe that. Oh, wait, they say there is no one God that you can really serve everybody. Ooh, I think I believe that. 
Oh, they, well, they, well, they said that, you know, what's another one? I can't think of no other ones. But uh, they said whatever, and we just, we just keep running around with what everybody's saying. He said that's a sign of your immaturity, that you're in, unable just to believe what did the word. Do you even know what the word is, number one? And then what did the word say? And that's really big right now with, with this time we're in. It's like people are going to have you believing in doorknobs in a minute. Because they help you enter and exit from one place to another. And with the 360 degree turn, it takes you from one place to another. When you turn a doorknob, you find yourself in a new place. Do you want to be in a new place? Do you want to leave the old behind and step into the new? Then the doorknob is the way. Because without the doorknob, things won't turn. If you want turn around in your life, turn. The, and it's just like, what are you talking about? But all you got to do is get somebody who's silent, they didn't know what they're talking about, and this, that, and all of a sudden people are like, ooh, that, some of y'all was like, that, that do sound kind of good. That, 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 that'll preach. That'll preach, I, I see, I see the turn, I see the turn. And it's like, the Bible says, no, Jesus is the way. He's the truth, he's the life. You know, that, the gospel is, we don't spend two months talking about <laughs> this, and, and within seconds, people can be yanked out of that. And, and why is that? Immaturity. Doesn't make you a bad person, it's just you need to know where you at. So you can allow him to renew your mind and you can strengthen your anchor or the anchor of your soul, those mind, that, that mind, that will, that emotion in him. Your spirit's good, but that soul is going to need some maturing. Amen? It says we won't be tossed, uh, uh, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of doctrine. Verse 15. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Y'all thought I was joking. I mean, it's for real. He is for real. And this is way back then. This is Paul writing to the church of Ephesus. He's writing to Christians. I should have looked at how long ago this was, but it was a long time ago. And if, how many of you guys know if they had that problem then, it's sure enough going to exist right now. Instead, we will, he said, so instead of that, if you're mature, you're going to speak the truth, how? In love, growing in every way, growing in every way, growing in every way. That, that, that we all are growing. We all are still working on maturity. I don't care how long you've been saved. I told somebody I've been saved for 40 years the other day. And she was like, I've never heard that one before. I was like, what? Because she was like, how, you know, she was calling herself, calling me out. Like, I didn't know what I was talking about in general. And she was like, well, how long have you been saved? I said, 40 years. I've never heard that one before. And you know what she was doing? She was comparing my length of salvation to her length of salvation. And because of her mind, because I beat her, she had a problem. Because I was saved longer than her, she had a problem. That, that don't make no difference. You can be saved for 75 years in this room and still be acting like a spiritual two-year-old because you don't know how to believe the word. And you can be saved for two years and be one of the most mature people in the room 
because you've made a decision, I believe what this word is about. By the way, in case you didn't know what the word was, Jesus, the Bible says in John 1 and 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. I think it's verse 14, said the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and he was full of grace and truth. And when we studied that out, we found out that Jesus not only has grace, he is grace, and he is the truth. So Jesus and the word and the truth are all the same, and they're all grace. So when Paul is talking about right here, we will speak the truth in love. He's saying we'll speak Jesus in love. We'll speak the word in love. We'll speak the truth in love. We'll speak about grace in love. You ain't got to fight with nobody about the gospel of grace, by the way. You ain't got to fight with nobody about Jesus. You ain't got to fight with nobody about the truth. The truth is the truth, whether you like it or not. The truth is God loved you. He sent his son, Jesus, who is grace, who is the truth, who is the word. He sacrificed his life. You're forgiven, period. That doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. That's the truth. This is the truth whether you believe it or not. You can go to hell not believing that truth and it's still true. You can live life broke, busted, and disgusted on this, earth, on, on this earth not believing this truth and it's still true. The truth is you're forgiven. The truth is you have a chance to live out being the righteousness of God. The only question is, is are you going to believe it? That's true, whether you like, I can scream, I can shout, I can bust the window out, it doesn't make a difference, that's going to be still true. I ain't going to fight with nobody about that. Why, why, why am I going to fight with somebody about the truth? Truth is the truth. What I'm arguing for is for your soul to be convinced of the truth so that you'll believe it. My discussion of the truth with you my going back and forth to the truth with you is because I love you. I'm speaking the truth in love. I want to see you not miss out on what the truth is. I want to see you not miss out on the benefits of the truth. See, this is what a mature believer does. That's what it said, right? A mature believer instead speaks the truth in love. I love you so much that that love is moving me to compassion for you and saying, listen, you're missing the truth. You're my sister, you're my brother, you're my aunt, you're my uncle, you're my friend at school, you're my coworker, you're, 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 you're the person I just met on the street and you have already been forgiven. And I love you too much to make you, to, then to let you stand there and think just because you mess up, just because you got stuff going on in your life, just because you, you uh, used to be a Muslim or you are Muslim, or just because you're a homosexual, just because of whatever it is that's going on in your life that this doesn't apply. This is true for the Muslim, the homosexual, the transgender, uh, the, the, the murderer, the rapist. It's true for us all. Period. It's true for us all. And the mature believer can look past bad behavior just like Jesus did and say, this is yours. That's how much he loves us. How do I sit in the seat? You sit in the seat by growing up. That's what Jesus did. Jesus didn't look at people and say, get away from me with your issue of blood. You're not even supposed to be out here. Because that's how the law was. She wasn't even supposed to be out there with that issue of blood. He didn't look at the woman that was caught in adultery and say, she, they said they caught her in the act. He didn't look at her and say, you no good hussy, get out of here. 
Because real talk, according to the law, the man was supposed to be out there with her. That's why all them jokers that brought her out there, Jesus said, well, whoever ain't sinned, cast the first stone. They all had actually sinned in that moment because they were supposed to bring the man with her. The law had said, if you catch people in adultery, the man and the woman has to be stoned. They only brought the woman out. They had disobeyed the law right there. So even if they thought they had it all together, they had just committed a sin. So nobody could stone her. And Jesus didn't dog her out. He forgave her sins, told her, get up and don't sin no more. He literally equalized her. And by the way, the people who brought her out there, they were actually leaders like in the church and stuff like that. So these were like well-to-do, known, privileged guys. And he equated her with them in that moment. Here's a person caught in adultery. He's saying, you're no better than her and she's no worse than you. I'm no better than you and you're no worse than me. Doesn't make no difference that I'm Pastor Archie. God looks at us and he sees us all the same. And we have to start looking at this world and seeing it as his creation. He created them all. And mature believers can look at them and then speak the truth, speak the gospel of grace, speak, speak what the word says about them because we love them. That's what Jesus is all about. His number one mission was, I got to get, I'm so passionate about God's creation, I have to get this word to my brothers and sisters so that they can be who God has created them to be. But if we're so focused on, I got to get to the feet because I'm broken, because this is what's going on. Even, even these statements we're singing in these songs right now, break me, Lord, and this, that, and that. Ah, duh. Last I checked, he took all that pain and all of that for you. Why would you want to take it on yourself? You couldn't handle it. Y'all get where I'm going at? We, we have to, just because, somebody, it was on Facebook about this, um, this artist, I forgot his name, but um, it's somebody from Skillet or something. He was warning uh, the church, be, being, be careful because we're kind of making musicians and all these people like pastors. And people are getting their spiritual uh, feeding and experience from praise and worship traditionally in the sense of they get into a praise service, but they don't want to come to church. And the issue with that is, is God set things up a certain way. He has pastors and teachers, and he has then the helps ministries. And the music ministry is part of the helps ministry. The music ministry is not designed to teach you the word. You should be experiencing God right now. You are, by the way, because the Holy Spirit's teaching you. You've just not learned that that's experiencing him. You've been taught that the emotions is him. No, those emotions are yours and you feel good about him, and that's fine. But that is not the summation of how you grow in maturity. You have to come, sit down, gather yourselves together, hear the word, let the Holy Spirit teach you, and then go out and study this tomorrow, the next day, and the next day, allow it to get deeper in you so you can go and do what the word said, so you can go and do what Jesus did. Again, you are not the center in the story. You're the saint 
who is united with the Savior. And you have the answers that the world needs. So it is time that we begin to mature, speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body. If you understand that, say amen. Verse 16. It says, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. In case you just thought I was making all that stuff up about going out and doing this, that, and the other. And, but it, it says, we're his special body not just to sit in church. I said, we're his special body not just to sit in church. There's work to be done. Again, not saying we can't worship God, spend time with God, but Jesus went and did that right before he worked and right after he worked. But he was working. He was out there winning souls. He was out there healing folk. He was out there doing everything that needed to be done. And in his process, he would always spend time with God. But his life wasn't about just spending time with God. We've made our lives as Christians all about trying to get in God's presence. Where is Christ? I said, Where's, where is the presence of Christ? How can you have him in you and not be in his presence? I don't feel like it, though. That's because you don't know no better. You're in his presence. You're in his presence when you wake up. You're in his presence when you go to sleep. You're in his presence when you go to the bathroom. You're in his presence. You're in his presence when you're acting right. You're in his presence when you're acting wrong. His presence, said, he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's always with you. Again, like I said, been saved a long time, been in church that entire time. I get it. Most of my life was spent trying to daily get into his presence as if by singing a certain song and saying certain words, the, 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 what do you call it, the curtains would open and I would be able to step into the presence of God. And then if I do certain things, I can work real hard and I can stay there. No, 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 no. The moment I just say, good morning, God, I'm acknowledging the presence that's already there. His presence is always there. You just need to acknowledge it. Good morning, God. Good morning, Holy Spirit. What we gonna do today? What truth do you need me to operate in? I mean, what, what, who do you need me to operate in the truth with in love? That's a mature believer. That's a person who's seated. That's a person who's no longer a child, but is indeed now maturing becoming more and more and more like Christ. Being like Christ, he said it right there. If you want to be like Christ, be a truth speaker in love. Be a truth speaker in love. You're not like Christ because you can heal 50 people. You're not like Christ because you preach and it's, it's 10,000 people there. You're like Christ because you're out there spreading his truth. You're out there spreading his love. You're out there operating in his power. You're out there ruling like the kings and queens you are. 
Let me give you these other couple of things and we'll pick up on these on a Sunday. So if I'm gonna rule and live on earth, number one, like we said, I have to have maturity. Number two, we'll talk about this on Sunday, I have to have the right attitude, I have to have the right attitude so that I can successfully follow the will of God. Attitude is simply um, where's your mind set to. You can hear everything I just heard tonight about you need to be mature and still decide, I ain't doing all that. That's the wrong attitude. That'll cause you to not be able to walk out the things of God. The right attitude would be, oh, I want to come on Sunday and hear more about this, 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 this attitude thing because I want to continue to mature in Christ. So we have to have the right attitude so that we can successfully follow the will of God. Number three, as we just saw in Romans 12 too, we have to be transformed. Once you have the right attitude, now you can be transformed. The right attitude is literally allowing God and saying, I want you to change the way I think. But you gotta choose that first. Many people struggle with being transformed because they just got the wrong attitude. But transformation comes after the right attitude. And number four, you'll rule, you'll, you'll grow, you'll be able to also worship and spend time with God, number four, just like Jesus did. I'm gonna show you the way Jesus did it. And I'll tell you right now, all throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you constantly see Jesus just going and getting on his own with him and the Father. It says he, he went, he didn't go get at his own feet to get built up. He went and spent time with God, the source. The Bible says he was constantly, he, I'm only saying what the Father says. When you're doing what the Father do. That time he went up on the mountain, and I think it was Peter and uh, James or Peter and somebody was with him, and he was transfigured. You know, his face started looking like He just went and spent time and, and with God. And that's what we're supposed to do. You want to get built up? You want to get charged up? Go spend some time with God. The Bible says when we speak in, a, uh, in our other heavenly language, praying in tongues, we build ourselves up in our most holy faith. The Bible is very specific on how we stay charged up. So we need to now make a decision that, you know, Lord, I'm going to do these things your way because now I need to no longer be operating that as a child. Because if I stay a child, even though I'm an heir, even though Christ is in us, I still won't be able to rule the way you have called me to. So I'm excited about watching you mature, watching you grow because God has something special in store for you. And you're at the very beginning of a great adventure. I said, you're at the very beginning of a great adventure. Some of you have been waiting. Lord, show me why I'm here. Lord, open up this door. Lord, do this, Lord, do that. And he was just waiting on you to get in the right position so that he can mature you and he can grow you and then he can hand you the keys to your destiny. And say, now you're ready to take this because you're going to speak the truth in love. You're going to do what I have called you to do. You're not going to get focused on this other stuff. I can trust you now with this. So I want you to stay encouraged, but I want you now to make a decision that I'm going to submit my will to the will of God. I'm going to allow him to transform me. I'm going to have the right attitude. 
and I'm going to see God's glory here on earth. Amen? Amen. Let's give God a hand clap of praise for that. Amen. Father God, we thank and praise you for this word, and Lord, we thank you for this time we've been able to spend with you. Lord, we thank you as we're growing and maturing in you, uh, and we are no longer children, Father God, but we are mature, ready to speak your truth and speak it in love, and we'll be careful to give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise for the victory that comes from it, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We'll give God another hand clap of praise. We love you guys. We'll see you after service.